Greetings. It's my privilege to share with you today from the book of Psalms, Psalm 56. And I've entitled this message, What Can They Do to Me? This is part of our ongoing series on the book of Psalms. And so uh, let's get right into it. Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me. All day long in their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in Yahweh, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere human beings do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Let's pray a minute. Father, thank you so much for this psalm. Help us to understand it well. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to see what Jesus has done for us and what we mean to you. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a few observations that I'd like to make about this particular psalm. Um, first of all, it's a uh, the heading part tells us that it's associated with the time that David was fleeing from um, Saul and he fled to Gath. And while he was at Gath, he was afraid. And so let me just remind us of that story. Um, John, Saul's son, had uh, promised David that he would be faithful to him in a covenant. And John found out that his father Saul really indeed did have uh, the intent of killing David. And so he told David to run. And so David flees to the priest and then uh, from there he flees to Achish. And so we pick up the story. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So these Philistines, these people who are in Achish's court, they don't feel so good about David being there. David is their enemy. And so the Philistines are saying, you know, isn't this the one that they sing about? And David took these words to heart, and he was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. And so he's terrified right now. He just fled from Saul. He saw one of uh, Saul's followers there at the priest's house. And then he fled to Achish in Gath, and now he's afraid of him. And so look what David does. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. While he was in their hands, he acted like a madman. 
making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down on his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there too. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So David writes this psalm from this context. The other thing I wanted to point out to you is that this is a um, one of maybe three or four psalms right around here, Psalm 55, 56, 57, 58, that are all kind of similar in the sense that they seem to be psalms while David is fleeing or hiding or under oppression. So this was not a short-lived thing, and David wrote several songs about it. Even the fact that he would do so is probably instructive for us, that when you're suffering under fear, that we um, should certainly... Uh, pour our hearts out to God like David did. The extreme nature of David being attacked and pretending to be insane is a lot more severe than anything I've ever had to face in my life. And yet there are some timeless principles because I am and I do know what it's like to be afraid of people. And so this psalm applies even to wimpy people like me who've never really had to suffer that bad. But nevertheless, I am sometimes afraid of people. And so this psalm can be an encouragement to me. So I don't want to diminish how severe the suffering was for David. Not at all. But I also want to say that since the psalm and the truths in it were adequate and sufficient to give David courage and to encourage him in a hard time, how much more will those words be an encouragement to you and I who don't face those same kinds of trials? Well, there's a few other things I want to observe. First of all, look at the word, the word I praise. In your word I praise, it's repeated in verse 4 and 10. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So this phrase, in whose word I praise, is kind of unusual. It's not repeated very often in the Psalms at all. The idea of praising God's word. And then it's repeated down in verse 10. In God whose word I praise. So that's kind of interesting. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. And so the second time it's repeated in verse 10, he says it twice. In God, Elohim, whose word I praise, and in Yahweh, whose word I praise. And so that's a significant thing we're going to come back to in a minute. The other thing I noticed that's repeated again in verse 4 and 11 is, In God I trust. And so David makes a declaration of what's going on, or he tells us what he's doing. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. And so David says that in verse 4 and then down in verse 11, in God I trust and am not afraid. And so David reminds himself, he speaks to himself the truth. And then look at also at this repetition in verse 4 and 11, what can mere mortals do to me? What can mere, the phrase what can mere, um, simple thing, what can merely human beings do to me? And so again, verse 4, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So what can a mere, and the word here in Hebrew for mortals is just human beings, flesh, uh, um, bodies. What can people do to me? But in verse 11, in God I trust and I'm not afraid. What can the mere human beings do to me? The Hebrew word there that's translated human beings is Adam, Adamah. 
or Adam. So it's what can humans, what can man do to me? So in the first case, it was what could be people do to me, flesh could do to me, the things of this physical realm. But now he's specifically saying, what can mankind do to me? And so again, that's repeated um, and twice. So all three of those phrases are repeated in verse 4, 10, 4, and 11. And so we're going to come back and look at that. I think that's going to be key for us. The other thing I wanted to point out was just the general structure of the psalm as a whole. Just to, uh, there's nothing really uh, elaborate about this, but um, first of all, I know you can't read that, but that's all of the words, and the green are the repeated parts, verse 4 and then 10 and 11. And I just want to say that it starts out with a request, be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. So it starts out with a request, and then a description of David's problem. So he describes a problem. My adversaries pursue me all day long. Saul's chasing me. Achish is chasing me. Everybody's trying to me. He says, in their pride, many are attacking me. So David has a number of enemies. And then he speaks the truth to himself. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And God, whose word I praise. And God, I trust and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So he reminds himself of the truth. And then there's another description of the problem. All day long, they twist my words. They're, all their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. And so this description of the problem, they're lurking, they're sneaking, they're finding, they're always conspiring against David. And so then he makes another request. They bring the nations down. And then he asks God to do something interesting. Record my misery. Store up. Don't forget how much suffering I'm experiencing. List my tears on your scroll. What a, what a beautiful poetic metaphor. Store my my tears in a, um, a jar for me. Are they not in your record? God, you do pay attention. You do notice everything I'm going through, and you record those things. And then he says, then my enemies will turn back. And so again, he speaks with gratitude, or not again, but for the first time, he says, with gratitude and worship. Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. And then he speaks the truth again. He repeats a lot of the same things he said the first time. In God whose word I praise, in Yahweh whose word I praise, in God I trust and I'm not afraid. What can normal human beings do to me? And then again, he finishes with gratitude and worship. I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. So David probably made some promises to God during his suffering. And he says, I'm under those vows and I'm going to make my thank offerings good. He says, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling. Even a greater rescue in my mind, not just that I'm saved from death, but that I wouldn't stumble myself, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So walking in the light is a privilege. So again, notice the requests come first and some descriptions of the problems, but interspersed as he speaks the truth to himself, the yellow box, he speaks the truth and it ends up with gratitude and worship. That is the typical and normal pattern for us when we trust God. So those are my observations. And I just want to kind of finish the message with, with meditating on the three particular phrases that um, David uses in those passages where he's speaking the truth. And so the first one is to put our trust in God. Back from verse 3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. 
the way the tense of this verb and the way that it said it, it, it talks about an, an active putting, something that I'm choosing to do. It's a decision to put my trust into you. I have to trust something. I can't, I, I'm not independent. I'm not um, self-reliant. I do depend. Even if, if, if I were to think that I was independent, I would somehow be thinking then that I was able to control things myself. But I, I know from experience and from the truth that I cannot control things myself. And so when I am afraid, when things are frightening me, I need to decide to put my trust in something. I either have to trust that the um, that I'll be able to figure it out, or I need to trust that I can run fast enough so that the trouble won't catch me. But I, but the only safe place to really trust is the only person who actually is in control of everything, and that's God Himself. And so, when I am afraid, I have to decide. I say to myself, "I'm going to put my trust in You." If I, it doesn't mean that I don't feel the fear. The, feels, the feelings may still be there, but this is a decision to practice the truth, to, to put my trust in you. To God, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to trust myself. This is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus trusted God. He was never afraid because he knew that God was in control. And then Jesus reminds his disciples on the night before he died, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You trust in me, Jesus says. I'm your best friend. I'm a friend who loves you so much that I'm going to lay down my life for you. I can, I can be trusted. I know what's going on. And I am good. And so you need to trust me. You need to rely on me. As a matter of fact, the, the beauty of our sufferings are that they drive us to trust in Jesus, the one who, who made it all okay for us to be in God's presence. So that's the first thing I want us to say, is to put our trust in God. The second thing that David says is he praises God's word. Now, again, this is sort of a, a rare thing. I couldn't find any other place where he actually says the words to praise God's word, to praise his word. He says, it, um, in God, whose word I praise, in Yahweh, whose word I praise. So I'm going to trust this person, God. I'm going to trust the creator. I'm going to trust Yahweh, the one who is the covenant keeper, the great I am, the one who is the, the God who controls and is persistent for all time and does not ever diminish or weaken. I'm going to trust his word. I'm going to say his word is worth it. And so this is an excellent reminder for us that when we face difficulties, it's not just that we trust the person, because the person is there for sure. We trust the person of God, but we also have an objective truth out there that is true even when our subjective feelings are despairing. And so we can trust God, his written word, his spoken word, the things that he says. He's so trustworthy, and even when I don't feel him personally, he's still there, and I can trust his word. Even when I'm terrified, as David was in Gath, I can still trust God's word. What kinds of word? Well, the words like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Or the words like, this is how you know I love you, John, is because I put my, I'm willing to give my life for you. And Jesus says, I don't call you just uh, my servants anymore. I call you my friends because you know about your master's business. 
And so if we trust in God's word. We trust in what he says. It's reliable. And his word is sufficient. When we don't know what to do, we can study his word more. And when we, we, we need courage, we can study his word. We, we can't compromise on his word. When we are pressured to give up or to turn away from it, we have to recognize that it is exactly the living word of God. It's the same word that Jesus trusted. Jesus praised God's word all the time. When he was tempted by Satan, he used God's word. If we had half the view of the Bible that Jesus has of the Bible, we would regard God's word as holy and reliable. Not one little piece, not one little mark of the pen will go away. It will always be fulfilled. And so David trusts God's word. Jesus trusts God's word. And you and I should trust God's word. And when Jesus, again, on the night before he died, he prayed for his disciples and he said to his father, sanctify them. That means to set them apart, to make them holy, to make them good, make them better. And Jesus is praying for his disciples and he tells the father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What we need to have in our lives is the truth. The truth that tells us that Satan's lies are indeed lies after all. You see, Satan is going to be the one who tells us, hey, you're not good enough for God to love you. You're not good enough for Jesus to really take care of you. You need to be better, and I know how bad you are. And the truth comes out and says, no, Jesus paid it all. And you cannot lie to me, Satan. Jesus loves me so much that he even died for me. I saw it on the cross. I see it in the word. He trusts, I can trust him. Or Satan would say, God doesn't have your best interest at, at heart. You need, you need a break. You need, you need to somehow enjoy yourself a little bit. I said, no, the truth is, is that Jesus has done everything for me, and, and he's the greatest treasure I could ever have. There's no other place in the world. If I need a break, the best place to rest is in Jesus. He's the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is the truth. And so Jesus tells us to trust the Father. The word is truth. And that's how we um, overcome evil. And Jesus himself even said, we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. So again, we want to put our trust in God. We want to decide to trust him as a person. We're going to praise his word. We're going to decide to obey and trust his word as true. It's not a lie. And it actually is the remedy against all of Satan's lies. And then fourthly, or the third point of, the, um, of speaking the truth to ourselves, the fourth point in my message, but the third point in, in uh, David's psalm, is what can mere mortals do to me? What can a human being do to me? In verse 11, in God I trust and I'm not afraid. What can mere flesh do to me? What can Adama do to me? What can mere human beings do to me? You see, our problem is, is that we, we sometimes get confused between the temporary and the present and the eternal and the permanent. And it's true that um, mortal men can hurt me. They can cut my arm off. They can beat me up. They can take my goods. They can put me in prison. They could even take my life. But they can't really do anything to me not the person me. You see, my, my person is a spirit and I am with and in Christ. And so I am so secure, there's nothing they can do. To take my life 
is really only to give me what would even be better, and that's to be with Jesus in his presence. You see, what Jesus does by his resurrection from the dead, by the hope that we have, is it takes the murderer, it takes the killer, it takes someone who would take our life, it changes them from the executioner, um, I heard someone say, it turns them into a gardener. All they can do is plant me in the ground and I'll bear forth more fruit and I will raise again in the new body. And so the, the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel turns death from an executioner into a gardener. It just plants me so that I can come up on the other side. And so in God I trust and I'm not afraid. What can mere human beings do to me? Jesus even said, don't fear him who can kill the body. Fear him who can kill the body and throw the soul into hell. And that is who we choose to fear when we believe in Jesus. We're going to trust him. And he will not let our, our souls be thrown into hell. So even if I lose the life of the body in this life and in this time, it's just a temporary transition and I'm going to be with him right away. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. That's the greatest thing. But to, but to die is gain. It's even better. I get to be with Jesus. And so what can a mere human being do to me? If I think about those things, then I'm encouraged. And so I also wanted to point out what Paul uh, responds on this with his passage in Romans. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so God is at work in our lives to make us like Jesus, that we would be conformed to his image, to turn us into his image. That's what God's doing all the time. So how could I be afraid of anything? God's at work. God's in control. I can praise his word. I can trust in him. I can praise his word. And I can know that he is for me. And on uh, <clears throat> those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, we can trust him. We can trust, we can praise his word, and we know that there's nothing that anybody can do to us. How are we so sure? Well, because he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So now that we've been born again and saved by Jesus, and Jesus has been raised from the dead, and if God did not spare his own son because he loved us so much, how much more now that we have the son Shall we receive all things? We get it all. Who will bring anything, any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then can condemn? No one. See, no condemnation from Satan can ever break through. No one has permission because God has justified me. And why has God justified me? Because Jesus did it all and paid it all. And so I receive that by grace through faith. And so I believe in Jesus and God is the one who justifies. So no one can condemn me. Even someone who sees my faults, they cannot condemn me. I'm ultimately safe. There's nothing that a mere mortal can do to me. I am as secure as a secure as a person could be because I'm in Jesus. And why? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So right now, if somebody tries to condemn me, 
Jesus doesn't say to his father, oh, please forgive him one more time. I know he's a real rascal. No, it's not that kind of wimpy, whining, hoping God will have mercy again. No, Jesus says, he is righteous. He believes in me and I paid it all. Look at my perfect record. That is why he's justified. It has been paid. And so Jesus is an authoritative and a strong advocate on my behalf. He intercedes and said, no, he's not condemned because he believes in me and I have paid it all. If you, if what Jesus could say is, if he's condemned, then my work was nothing. And my work was something. It was accepted by God and he rose from the dead. So it's a powerful intercession that Jesus does for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So shall trouble or hardship or persecution or Achish or Saul or anybody else or famine or nakedness or danger or sword even. Can a sword separate me from the love of Christ? As it is written, it feels like it. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's what it looks like to the world. Nope. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. We don't just win. We're more than winners more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. What else could you think of, Paul? What other kind of extreme could you come up with? The past, the present, the future, nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we can put our trust in Jesus. We can put our trust in God because Jesus lived a perfect life and died for us. And by faith, we trust in him. We can trust him. We know he'll take care of us and we can praise his word. He's told us everything we need to know and it's reliable words. His word is worth trusting. It's demonstrated itself. Even when our feelings lack, his word is powerful. And we remember, what can mere mortals do to me? This, I am right with God. I am God's son by adoption in Jesus. There's nothing that a mere mortal can do to me. I am safe. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this reminder that we can trust you. Forgive us for the times when we don't. The only reason we would not trust you is because we're just not believing the truth about you can trust you. Help us to do so. Help us to put our trust there in you when we are afraid. And Father, help us to praise your word and to always look at it for encouragement, instruction, and, and rebuke that we would walk in a way that would be most pleasing to you, even though we're already totally okay with you in Christ. And then Father, especially toward the end, help us to remember that we have um, no fear Thank you for joining us today. For more information about our church, online resources, and in-person services, our website is the best place to check, wpbiblefellowship.org. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus and may you grow in his grace.